This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 223 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world for the week beginning Monday, the 11th of February, 2013, and welcome to what will hopefully be a full issue of the Bugle this week after last week's cyber attack by the forces of technology stole away half of the show we'd recorded. First, a chunk of the Bugle went missing, then there was a massive power cut at the Super Bowl. Next stop, Armageddon. But (laughs) luckily... Or unluckily, depending on uh, your view of these things and how much money you've got riding on it, the world did not actually end this week, so we're back. And I am Andy Zaltzman, five-time winner of Britain's Least Useful Man Award here in London. And joining me from the Ice Age wasteland, that is New York City, is the man with his finger very much on the funny pulse, which would be a good thing if he wasn't also holding a pillow over Funny's face. It's John (laughs) Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. And Buglers, I'm sorry that you missed uh, last week especially Andy's inability to be trusted with the fact that the Bugle had uh, three of the same numbers in it. (laughs) That was a pretty low-grade discipline for Andy. That's basically only into my ears now. Only I had to suffer that. (laughs) Anyway, as a side note to today's Bugle, Andy, I forgot to mention last week, but Rolling Stone had a list of the 50 funniest people in the world right now, Andy, an entirely (laughs) scientific, not remotely subjective list of the quality of humour provided on the planet. And I was number 26, Andy. (laughs) Number number 20, think about that for a second. That means there are only 25 potential scenarios in which you could be having a better time right now. (laughs) Let's let's try and put that number in context as well, Andy, because as a guy in Denver was pointing out to me last week, the first half of that list are probably all ageing corporate sellouts, so you can get rid of them straight away. Which means the number 26, it's actually number one, Andy. <laughs> number one, that's a maths fact, Andy. And you can't argue with a maths fact. Where was I on the list, John? Well, I was on the list, Andy, so, I, you know, I think you're on basically as well. Oh, right, cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take 25. What's, my, what's mine is yours, Andy. <laughs> So this is Bugle uh, 223, which uh, coincidentally is the response given by Henry VIII when asked by one of his new wives what the optimum number of spare heads she should bring on their honeymoon was. <laughs> oh, two to three. Uh, also, uh, 11th of February means it'll be on Monday 363 years to the day since the 17th century philosophy celeb René Descartes, famous for his I think, therefore I am catchphrase, was at home with Mrs Descartes, who wanted to repaint the upstairs bathroom. Rene, she said, I really like this lilac colour. What do you think about it? He replied, oh, nothing. Oh, shit, I'm dead now. <laughs> and uh, it's also 11th of February, National Inventors Day in the USA. This year's uh, featured inventions, the suprasurface submarine. That's a submarine that doesn't go underwater but floats on top. Uh, the silent hammer for 24-hour DIY without waking up your family, friends, or the person who's trying to barricade into their room for a joke. And the uh, time-saving news toaster, an internet-enabled breakfast accessory that burns the morning's headlines into your bread to enable you to catch up on all the news without having to waste time listening to the radio. As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Next Thursday, John, as I'm sure you're very well aware, is Valentine's Day. 
Oh, yeah, of course. The uh, patron Whoops. saint of uh, stalking, anonymity, and putting people in awkward situations. And uh, we have a special Valentine's Day feature section in the bin this week. We'll look back to the St. Valentine's Day massacre and ask, was that the clumsiest I love you message in history? <laughs> we give you tips on how to anonymizedly tell your loved one you've got the hots for them without gunning down seven mobsters in a garage. Get your relationship off to a slightly less conversationally awkward start with, say, just a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates or simply kneecapping a single mobster in a darkened alleyway. We also look at the future of Valentine's Day following the British Parliament's vote to legalise gay marriage, despite the objections of traditionalists who are concerned about the legislation being backdated to force their late grandparents to at least try being gay and we ask where will it end is the queen going to be made into a lesbian also we ask will heterosexuals still be allowed to celebrate valentine's day or will everyone who wants to valentine someone of the opposite sex also constitutionally have to anonymously proposition someone of the same or homosex and we ask with their traditional belief that gays should suffer on earth as well as burning in the fires of eternal hell now under threat, could the innocent law-abiding religious nutjob community seek permission to ensure that gays are compelled legally to have to match the 40% heterosexualist divorce rate? That section is in the bin. And, John, I'm delighted to announce that after the historic House of Commons votes this week to legalise gay marriage, for the mm-hmm. first time in bugle history homosexuals are allowed to listen to this podcast. Oh, that's good. Only through one earphone, not two. One step at a time. One one step at a time. Still a historic moment. It's still not natural! (laughs) Top story this week, immigration! And immigration policy is a tricky banana to unpeel, Andy, but it's well worth it if you can get it open for, you know, inside is soft, sweet compassion for your fellow human beings. Just be careful where you throw that peel, because that's a banana skin that can trip you out of office. (laughs) And big immigration news on both sides of the Atlantic at the moment. First up, British citizenship. And in Britain, Andy, as you know, the unofficial immigration policy is... Uh, we're an island. Um, there's no room. If we get any more people on this island, we're going to sink. You're simply too heavy to live here. I'm sorry. Good day. I said good day. <laughs> the uh, the UK government has introduced a new test for UK citizenship, where applicants will have to correctly answer questions about Britishness, ranging from principles of medieval land ownership to the invention of the hovercraft. And sure, Andy, I mean, that, look, that seems fair. What immigrant should not? have at least a working knowledge of medieval land ownership. (laughs) I mean, just to be clear, the extent of my knowledge of medieval land ownership is that there was probably land back in medieval times and some people (laughs) probably owned it. That's the beginning and the end of my knowledge. I think King Arthur lived on some land, but I'm not sure if he owned it or not. (laughs) He might have leased it from that lady that lived in the water. Like I said, I just don't know. But I don't need to know, Andy, that's the point. Because I'm not applying to be British, I don't need to. I already am British. (laughs) I'm fully qualified. You were were British, John. (laughs) (laughs) The qualification doesn't go away, Andy. <laughs> I'm not sure that's legally true, but I, I feel it in my heart. But uh, the new te- citizenship test is intended to put more emphasis on uh, British history and achievements than uh, previous versions. So I think it's very important, John, for uh, would-be asylogrants to know about British history because it means that when they're sitting their immigration test to see mm-hmm. if they're going to be able to be British enough and they've come up against a question, list the reasons why you... And thousands like you are moving away from your own country and trying to move to Britain, you can simply answer British history. 
Racism in a cloak of claiming that you want to educate people here. <laughs> Why don't they just write the immigration test that they actually want to, Andy, and simply hand potential immigrants a piece of paper with "fuck off" written on it? <laughs> and when when they say uh, this doesn't seem to be a question, simply reply, "Oh, oh, it is. It is a question, and you can answer it correctly by fucking off." <laughs> the the test will also include the achievements of Monty Python. Rudyard Kipling and Andrew Lloyd Webber, and are all included in uh, a 180-page Home Office syllabus, which asks potential citizens to learn about British history, culture and values from the Stone Age to the 2010 general election, when British history ends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before, before they take a, a new and a more tough life in the UK test as part of the government's intention to dramatically reduce net migration. And I have to say, Andy, I do like the idea of Monty Python featuring on this <laughs> test because you can learn a lot about the British psyche from the fact that we loved them so much. <laughs> Look, you're going to be living in a country where we found these men dressed up as ladies, talking in squeaky voices, slapping each other with fish and making Kierkegaard jokes. We, we love them. We lo- if you're on board with that, you're more than welcome to sashay in. <laughs> but uh, British values have, of course, shifted with time uh, and necessity, and we've let go some previous values that we used to hold dear, such as uh, enslaving massive numbers of people mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, invading anywhere that had anything that even looked like it might look smart in a museum. So these things are always constantly shifting, John, and uh, as the famous ancient Roman soldier, gladiator and philosopher Maximus Decimus Meridius himself once said, what we do in life... <laughs> Echoes in Eternity, by which I think he meant, can't have an Oscar, there is so much blood in this film. But, uh, <laughs> but immigration in the 21st century is full of these echoes of what Britain has done in its life, uh, you know, for good and bad through British history. And I look at my daughter's school class, John, so there's uh, children mm-hmm. in her class, about 30 kids in her class, and they come from maybe 15 or more different national and ethnic backgrounds. It's like a living lesson in global and British history, and trying to explain... To my six-year-old daughter, why children whose families come from all corners of the world are sharing the same classroom. It's quite difficult without sitting her down and saying, right, you know how round about the end of the last ice age the land bridge between Britain and continental Europe was flooded, making us an island again? Right, well, it all basically started from there. And then a few thousand years <laughs> later, the Romans invaded and so on and so on and so on. Until, as you say, history ended in 2010. It might <laughs> even be easier to go further back to when the first fish climbed out of the sea all of those millions of years ago and said, I am f- done with swimming. The applicants are going to be expected to score 75% or above in a 24-question multiple-choice exam to secure a pass into Britain. And uh, migrant groups have attacked uh, the new test as a lampoon of Britishness that made citizenship harder to achieve but for all the wrong reasons. And the section on India and empire in general is likely to slightly wind up any Indians or Pakistanis who are applying, because there is a box on the poet Rudyard Kipling with an extract from his poem, If, and a description of, for the most part, an orderly transition from empire to commonwealth, with countries being granted their independence. I'm guessing there's going to be a few hands going up during that (laughs) exam, and he's saying, "Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I just think there's a problem with this Exam paper, unless that's a joke. Is that one of your funny Monty (laughs) Python jokes? But I don't think it is, because you're not dressed like a lady. Or does orderly transition mean something different in English than I think it does? The the test, because the test seems to have omitted the fact that over a million people died 
in communal and religious violence at Britain's withdrawal during the partition in 47. And it would be great if all the questions were that revisionist, Andy, all saying, how peaceful was the transition of power from Britain to India? A, very peaceful. B, remarkably peaceful. C, ridiculously peaceful. <laughs> or D, I don't wish to live in Britain. Or they could go even further, Andy, and actually make people sign guilt disclaimers as part of the test, absolving Britain historically from any blame regarding their country's behaviour. So they could just sign a, I, the undersigned, hereby state that I shall not blame Britain at any point in the future for any action regarding my country of origin at any point in history. <laughs> Furthermore, any misfortunes my country may have experienced, I shall hereby state we fully brought upon ourselves. I shall henceforth refer to Britain's map drawing skills as perfection and that Britain has an ability to put borders exactly where they were supposed to be. <laughs> Please don't listen to me any more, asylagrant. <laughs> well, I don't think it's unfair, John, to expect people wanting to move to this country to accept yes. our history for what we pretend it is. Learn how we live. <laughs> Climb inside our heads. Immigration adverts now, and uh, well, so much is the fear of the influx of Romanians and Bulgarians in Britain that Britain is actually considering launching a negative ad campaign <laughs> in those two countries to persuade potential immigrants to stay away from the UK, that the UK is essentially not that place, not that nice a place to live. I'm just not sure, Andy, that any other country would be capable of even thinking of an idea like that, <laughs> let alone actually considering go through with it. If anything, this this could be just typical British modesty, you know, downplaying mm -hmm. our country, saying actually no, it is it is genuinely a pile of shit. Honestly, it really <laughs> is. But it was just 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 that that's the kind of people we are, John. The, the plan, which apparently is going to focus on the downsides of British life, <laughs> is one of a range of potential measures to stem immigration to Britain next year when uh, um, uh, curbs imposed on both country citizens. Uh, living and working in the UK are going to expire. So a report over the weekend quoted one minister saying that such a negative advert would correct the impression that the streets here are paved with gold. And uh, <laughs> I mean, this is just amazing stuff, Andy, because it's quintessentially English. We are such a negative group of people that I think we might actually be able to pull that off. There's, there's no word yet on how the advert might look um, or you know whether it's going to try and make Britain just look as horrible as possible, or try and you know encourage would-be migrants to wake up to the joys of their own lands. <laughs> but this is a whole new era for advertisers, Andy. Countries around the world spend millions of dollars on hiring firms to promote them as tourist destinations. You know, come come to Britain, feel the history, <laughs> and it will be amazing to see adverts that say, "Don't come to Britain. It really is tremendously overhyped. <laughs> tremendously." <laughs> Albania, just as crap, but so much closer. <laughs> Paid for by the British Tourist Board. Um, we, we just spent billions of pounds, Andy, on the Olympics to showcase ourselves <laughs> as a vibrant modern country. Clearly we missed a huge opportunity to stage the most negative opening <laughs> ceremony in Olympics history, focusing on the many reasons never to visit Britain. Well, it just shows, John, that uh, you know, a number of people are prepared to take this into their own hands. We had the riots in uh, 2011, showed our youngsters patriotically trying to make Britain less attractive 
to foreigners. I mean, uh, you might find the sight of teenagers vomiting uncontrollably in every town centre in the country every single weekend a little bit disappointing, perhaps not the fulfilment of the national dream of freedom that our forefathers fought all those world wars for, but I see it as their generation's Dunkirk, John, just as our grandparents and great-grandparents got blitzed. So the new generation is getting blitzed in a different way. They share the same ultimate goal to keep Britain independent and British. And the government should not be... I think we, we did a sketch on this in the department years ago about um, remember Demolition Day. National yeah. Demolition Day where to, to, to make Britain less attractive to the asylum groups. Uh, just one day a year we just smash up things like schools and hospitals. And I don't think we are now far away from actually that becoming <laughs> a government true. policy. It's true. They Look, shouldn't, they shouldn't we, play down disappointing economic <laughs> figures either. They should make them sound worse. None of this talk yes. of stability and holding a strong course in difficult times for long-term prosperity. George Osborne should be standing on the dispatch box in the Houses of Parliament saying, we are looking at a decade of piss. <laughs> Look, we should make a pitch for this commercial, Andy. We could give them the perfect bugle, don't come to Britain <laughs> advert. Don't come to Britain. It would be the biggest mistake you've ever made. It rains all the time and the food is terrible. The Queen's a bitch and she's the nicest person in the entire country. If you wanted to join a thriving nation, you're simply 300 years too late. Our best years are way behind us. And we haven't even mentioned the racism. We have derogatory terms for you, whatever nation you're from, that are so racist, they're almost not racist. Believe us, the only people that we hate more than you is each other. (laughs) On a Friday night, you're expected to drink until you pass out in the middle of a roundabout. Oh yes, by the way, we have roundabouts. The beauty of them is that they're the easiest imaginable way to die in a car crash. (laughs) And and if you do survive them, you'll wake up into the parochial nightmare that is modern Britain. (laughs) One more thing you should know, we're so emotionally repressed we'll never actually be able to express any of this to you and therefore move past it. Instead, we will communicate with you with a mixture of passive aggression and snootiness. Let us never speak of this ever again. Enjoy your life. I said good day. (laughs) Good day to you, sir. I once uh, got drunk the night of my A-level results and (laughs) fell asleep in a roundabout. Did you? And got taken home in a police car. Really? (laughs) It's not my proudest moment, but I thought this was an appropriate time to share it. It's never going to be a more appropriate one. And no. now, was that was that the was that after A level? That was when you got the results. That was the day I got my results. So two two C's, a D, and an E. All oh, right, C's. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yeah. So, you were, I mean, was that celebrating or uh, commiserating? <laughs> it was somewhere. Uh, it started at one end and ended at the other. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mister Roundabout. <laughs> uh, as a, as an amazing side note to all of this. And apparently Romania has already responded by launching a media campaign poking fun at British anxiety about Romanians flooding over to Britain called Why Don't You Come Over? The the (laughs) campaign is trying to convince British people to come and live in Romania with photos of Kate and Pippa Middleton over lines like Half of our women look like Kate, the other half like her sister. Oh, no, hold on. (laughs) Hold on, Romanians. You do not joke about Pippa. (laughs) Pippa. Pippa is not for joking, Romanians. <laughs> Pippa is for enjoying. <laughs> oh, sweet Pippa. Don't <laughs> listen to those nasty Romanians. Oh, beautiful lady. That- <laughs> Have you finished on that one, John? <laughs> <laughs> um, at least verbally, anyway. <laughs> 
Uh, there are concerns uh, that our changes to our immigration laws could restrict the number of skilled immigrants uh, coming to Britain, uh, including uh, some crucial occupations, including heart specialists, radiologists, radioactive waste managers, petroleum engineers, paediatricians, satirical podcasters, cartoon voiceover artists, <laughs> and science and mathematics teachers. Now, clearly, I mean, they're not, definitely at least in two of those categories, more vacancies than there were six and a half years ago. But uh, it's a very economically short-sighted, John to stop these people coming. Because not only do they do very important jobs in our country, but by getting them here, we also stop them doing those presumably equally, if not more important jobs, in their own countries. Now, this gives us a serious competitive edge in the global marketplace. Can you seriously tell me, BNP and other immigration sceptics, that more deaths and stupider children in our competitors' countries is not going to help us get back to being the greatest nation in the world? We need unrestricted immigration for the sake of keeping Britain great. That is the only way forward, John. US immigration news now. And uh, what, Andy, obviously, America's attitude to immigration has changed a little over the years from uh, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free to something more like, a, you know what, we're good on tired, poor, huddled masses for now. <laughs> Do you have anything in a fully qualified Indian doctor? <laughs> now, it seems like. Reform, immigration reform, is finally going to happen here. Now, why is that reform happening? Now, is it out of compassion? No. Is it out of electoral opportunism? Yes. Does that really matter as long as it happens? Well, I suppose not, but it's not really the most poetic way for this to finally take place, is it? I'm sure that Hispanic men were not looking down at their sons for the last hundred years saying, one day, mijo, one day our community will not live under the fear of having families torn apart. When, papa? When will this happen? Ah, I shall tell you, Mio. It shall happen when one side is reluctantly forced to come to terms with the fact that changing demographics have painted them into a corner, and it must listen to basic mathematics if it's to survive as a political entity. Let us hope so, Papa. <laughs> yeah, yes, Mio. See. <laughs> Immigrants in America. That's fair enough. You know, Javier Bardem <laughs> yeah. can't do all the films himself, can he? <laughs> I'm on your toes, Bardem! <laughs> uh, immigrants in America, Andy, have spent years appealing to politicians' hearts. It turned out that they didn't really have any, so <laughs> they're appealing to their heads instead. Because the received wisdom uh, is that the White House must achieve immigration reform within the year. Once on Congress enters 2014, everything's going to turn to the midterm elections. Republican Congress members are going to become increasingly disinclined to risk incurring the wrath of extreme parts of their party by voting yes. I mean, it's all so, so depressing. <laughs> and it, it's so depressingly cynical, a way to get something fundamentally positive from happening. And President Obama had a, made a big speech uh, about immigration and uh, he made a big, uh, big play of the difference in immigration as an issue of us and them, saying a lot of folks forget that most of us used to be them. It's really important to remember our history uh, unless you're one of the first Americans, uh, a Native American, you came from someplace else. And it's it's a nice sentiment, Andy. Name-checked Irish, Germans, Scandinavians, Poles, Russians, Italians, people in the West Indies. Talked about the huddled masses coming through Ellis Island. And it's 
a nice sentiment and he's not wrong, but it's a bit rich coming from someone who has deported more people than any other US president, Andy. <laughs> he's presently, the Obama administration deports an average of 12,000 more people per month than President Bush did. So I'm glad he's coming around, Andy, but let's, let's not claim that this is the king, the king of uh, compassionate immigration here. <laughs> Well, it's good to hear that it's uh, an emotive uh, subject in America uh, as well as here. Traditionally, of course, both sides of the Atlantic, the uh, political snooker ball swung round and round the head of the politicians and then smashed into the electorate's eye sockets. And both sides, you get people bleating like three-legged sheep on a snowboard about the (laughs) supposed wave of of, uh, immigrants coming over to steal the culture that we'd previously stolen from them, and panic generally spreading through the nation like a hedgehog under a steamroller. So I think it's time that we both grew up as a nation, John. (laughs) Insults news now! Listen up, you arsehole! And (laughs) just to get a sense of where Britain is as a country if people do want to immigrate to it, Andy, the crime of insulting someone through words or behaviour is apparently to be dropped in the UK. It was a uh, crime which once led to, among other things, the arrest of a student for asking a police officer if his horse was gay. Now, (laughs) clearly, Andy, that is a ludicrous arrest. That, That wasn't necessarily an insult. The student may have just known another gay horse and might have wondered whether the two horses would like to go on a horse date. Maybe go eat some gay hay somewhere together. But... The House of Lords has issued a statement scrapping the ban on insulting words in Britain and the House of Commons have said that they will not seek to overturn it. And this all goes back to Section 5 of the Public Order Act of 1986. Oh, what a section that is. Oh, what a a section. (laughs) Uh, It currently states that threatening, abusive or insulting words or behaviour may be deemed a criminal offence. Now, unfortunately, the problem with that is that That is a description of how most British people choose to communicate with each other nowadays. (laughs) Most families in the UK show their affection for one another through threatening, abusive or insulting words and behaviour. You and I, Andy, have basically built a lifelong friendship from those actions. (laughs) Now... That's right, you (laughs) (laughs) This, This law does not acknowledge, Andy, that our language in Britain has evolved or devolved to the point that some people use some of the most offensive words in the English language as terms of endearment. (laughs) Do you, Beth, take this Anthony to be your stupid f***ing husband? (laughs) Oh, I do. I do. (laughs) Well, it's it's better that, you know, you communicate through verbal um, insults such as this rather than, you know, the, the royal family used to communicate through massive world wars with each other's countries. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the, forward. The, uh, Theresa May, the Home Secretary, uh, said, I respect the review taken by their lordships. They had concerns which I know are shared by some in this house that Section 5 encroaches upon freedom of expression. Now, there's always a careful balance to be struck between protecting our proud tradition of free speech and taking action against those who cause widespread offence with their actions. She said that the government had supported the retention of the word insulting to prevent people swearing at police officers, protesters burning poppies or similar scenarios. But the problem is, Andy, that is exactly the kind of time when you need the retention of insulting words. If someone is burning a poppy, it's very important that you retain the right to call them a <laughs> It's very... It's, if not then, when, Andy? Plus, the English language has been forged 
over centuries through by exquisitely articulate insults. Shakespeare once wrote that thou hast no more brain than I have in mine elbows. Winston Churchill compared, compared Charles de Gaulle to a female llama who has been surprised in the bath. <laughs> I don't quite get the reference from Big Winston there, but it sounds insulting, <laughs> even though it just also insinuates that Winston Churchill had seen a female llama in the bath. He certainly seemed pretty confident in his point of reference there, so to be fair, I think that insult asks more questions than it actually answers. It does suggest that the Germans might have been using pantomime llamas as spies. <laughs> The, the point, the point is, insults are an important part of our national dialogue, Andy, and they cannot be taken away from us. You f. Well, if it was a crime at the time, I want the names and addresses of all four hundred people who are in the Manchester Comedy Store, December the twenty second, two thousand and two. <laughs> Horse meat scandal latest now, and economy <laughs> savoury foods manufacturer Omnisnout has claimed that it is now fully confident that its beef products contain a maximum of 49% horse meat. After tests revealed that an Omnisnout cottage pie filling contained 0% beef rather than the 120% beef proclaimed on the packaging, the company has, quotes, re-educated its supply chain to affect a, quotes, majority de-equestrianisation. The pie was revealed to contain a combination of horse meat, wood chippings, commemorative figurines of cows, vegetarian concrete, Barbie dolls, condor, walrus and traces of up to 50 separate autobiographies of professional golfers, including Monty by Colin Montgomery, Lee Trevino's They Call Me Supermex, Bernhard Langer's Getting the in the whole shite ballon! Jim, Jim Furyk's I'm Jim f***ing Furyk, have you got a golf problem with that? And Nick Faldo's and Nick Faldo's A la recherche du golf balls Purdue. One pie was even found to contain not only three quarters of the air from a horse's nostril, but also fragments of a jockey's racing silks from, and a torn up betting slip from the prominent French racetrack Longchamp. Sir Greville Bulk, the managing director of Omnisnout, said, Whilst I understand that our customers are disappointed to find that they had unwittingly eaten bits of horse penis, we can assure them that from now on they will only be eating mashed up cow sphincters, as they'd come to expect and demand and love. With regard to our <laughs> Omnisnout budget gobble chops, allegedly containing dog throat, rat nut and hedgehog tool, we would like to <laughs> emphasise that the quality of the food was not affected. It was no more dangerous than usual and slightly cheaper. Plus, it should be remembered that these items are considered delicacies in some cultures anyway. The presence of gelignite was, we insist, an administrative error caused by overhasty ordering by an employee who was very drunk, and it was in negligible quantities. Very few of the food products actually exploded, and would probably have done so anyway had gelatin been used as planned. Sir Gravel, who was knighted in 2003 for his services to unrealistically cheap food, added, The reconstituents of our products will continue to be absolutely and legally edible. We can assure our customers that we're doing everything in our power to ensure no such controversies arise again, and they never have to think about what is in our products whilst cooking them, eating them, or attempting to digest them. Extremely dead king news now, and finally the waiting is over, uh, Buglers, after so much speculation. It has been confirmed in the last week that former English king Richard III is definitely dead. The British Glenn Miller is now confirmed expired due to wounds sustained in the process of being killed in a battle in the year 1485, uh, after remains found in a car park in Leicester uh, proved to have DNA links to uh, his descendants and uh, ex extraordinary story particularly how they found these uh, these remnants in this uh, this kind of car park john i guess uh, mm -hmm. yeah whoever's looking for the skeleton of richard the 3rd must have uh, must have just had a bit of a hunch <coughs> but, uh, no. Got, no, 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 no 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 it's just a one off that's just a hit and run mate hit and run one off
It's just you've what? occasionally said it's a one-off, Andy. Yeah, no, no, I'm done. doing six to seven minutes. No, I'm not. Look, mate, look, of hump-based. I think I think puns. that was a justifiable joke. That you know, you would you would have been remiss if you'd done a whole a story on. Yeah. I'm even looking for puns find, in the sentence that you're in right now, find, Andy. I'm, I'm on edge. Surprisingly finding the skeleton of a king who's been dead for 500 years who famously had yeah. a hunchback without using the yeah. words had a bit of a hunch. No, I, mean, I'm a, I can't see how I, anyone could have done that. Sure, I understand. I'm just on high pun alert even now. Yeah, look, mate, I've, been clean. I've been clean yeah, for yeah, about six weeks. I've been clean for six yeah. weeks. Yeah, but that's so sad. I need your support through this, John. Uh, Richard III, of course, pretty divisive in life, uh, participant in a 25-year civil war that ripped England apart, pretty divisive in death, the victim of what supporters say was an orchestrated smear campaign by gutter playwrights like William Shakespeare, and now still divisive in the after-death, John, an argument has broken out between York, the city franchise that Richard represented when king, and Leicester, where his body was found where he's hung out for the last 527 years, both claiming they should get to look after his wonky corpse. Uh, just, just, just shows how, as you were saying, we can have an argument with about anything in this country, John. Arguing over a 500-year-old dead king, where he gets to live. <laughs> that showed what a controversial issue that civil war was as well. Uh, famously, uh, Richard's last words, according to Shakespeare, were, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. And that's... Um, <laughs> Classic panic buying in wartime, John. Instant inflation in the price of horse. And uh, yeah. apparently the uh, the Lancastrian forces replied, will a cheap burger do instead? <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Is this on? Well, think, I'm so tired. I think, the, I think those were probably his penultimate words, Andy. I think his final words, I'm recording probably. I just hope... That one day I'm not found underneath the car park. Anyway, that's it. That's it from me. I'm about to die now. I just please, just not, not, not a car park because that just seems, it just seems ridiculous. So no car parks, otherwise I'm good. Okay, a horse. <laughs> but uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about Richard III, uh, one of the most opinion-splitting monarchs in British history. Very, very hard to get an understanding of what he was really like because of the partisan reporting of the time. The uh, most of the uh, media at the time was owned by powerful business and political interests, so it's very hard to get an objective picture of the real man. Does that sound at all familiar <laughs> to anyone? America. Um, Whoa! <laughs> so, Boom again, well, Andy! Yeah, because we have scrupulously fair and independent media in this country. Some claim uh, Rich was a good, fair king and a champion of the common man, uh, such as historian John Rouse uh, at the time. Others uh, take an opposite view, including historian John Rouse, who changed his early position once uh, it was clear who'd won that civil war and portrayed Richard as a freakish individual born with teeth and shoulder-length hair after having been in his mother's womb for two years. (laughs) Very much the Fox News of his day. It's it's proved a big boost as well for tourism uh, in uh, the city of of Leicester. Helen Fairhead from Leicestershire Promotion said that uh, the new exhibition... Uh, of uh, Richard III, based around the uh, the dig for his uh, his body, has given a boost to tourism in the city. This is extremely exciting for us, she said. I've never known anything quite as phenomenal as this in our region in terms of the impact it will have on local tourism and the economy. Now, <laughs> with all due respect to Leicester, particularly as I'm doing a gig there uh, next weekend with uh, lots of new material, roll up buglers, roll up, uh, it, <laughs> it, is, uh, it is a bit of a worry if... The most exciting thing in your tourism history is digging up a 500-year-old corpse.
Your emails now, and uh, we have a great email here from Alex Thomas, who says, Dear Andy, Chris and John, in order of enjoyment of puns, that is the correct order. No one can enjoy them less. Uh, it's, uh, is that reverse order uh, or not? Or, um, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, I've just donated to help save the bugle, but uh, felt there might be more that I could do, so I came up with the following limerick. There is a great podcast, The Bugle, which sadly has to be frugal. Give them some money so they can be funny. Find their donation page with Google. <laughs> Very nice, Andy. I thought about writing a haiku as well, said Alex, but while crea- crafting the composition, I realised your scheme to subliminally haiku us all. The opening, The Bugle podcast, audio newspaper for visual world. <laughs> It's in fact one of the many haikus you've hidden within the bugle. I'm sure you're doing it for our own good, but with great power comes great ability to screw things up. <laughs> All the best, Alex Thomas. P.S. Don't screw up. So, it's a, again, that's, I love a passive-aggressive email, Andy. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks very much for your uh, donation and approach. Don't forget, you can... Uh, in fact, we're going to extend the 2% off your donation offer yeah. for, uh, <laughs> for another week because it's proved so popular. So still 2% off a figure of your own choosing. Uh, this email came in from Miriam in uh, New Zealand, who writes, Dear Andy Zoltzcat, John Mealiver, and Producer Chris, in order of how much I want to name a cat after you. Um, that's it. That's what I would call cats if I named them after you. Yours, <laughs> Miriam, New Zealand. Listen, Andy, it was it, it burned intensely with a fire of bullshit, <laughs> and its intensity made it brief. That was a short, completely nonsensical email, and I love it. And we have an email here from Amy Carroll from Arlington, Massachusetts, who says, uh, Dear John, Andy and Chris, I was recently asked by a friend to sign his petition asking President Obama to come on his cable access show, and I, like a good friend, did so. After electronically signing said petition, I became curious as to what exactly people at present are petitioning the White House for and began browsing the various active petitions. Boy, was I surprised. Among the 279 active petitions was the following. All signature counts are accurate at the time this email was sent. Uh, One, require that all civilian firearms be painted pink. 1,631 signatures. Two, make dance education... has to be worth doing, surely. (laughs) I think there is no way that it would not help gun crime. Exactly. It would definitely, I'm not saying it would solve the problem of gun violence, but it would certainly assist it, and any idea is a good idea at this point. (laughs) Uh, Petition number two, make dance education a right of every child at any level of schooling, 655 signatures. (laughs) Three, the president should pick a date of his choosing and declare that day as Gun Appreciation Day. Oh, boy. 1,642 signatures. And uh, Grant, uh, uh, petition number four, Grant Kennedy uh, Center honours to William Shatner, (laughs) Leonard Nimoy, George Takai, Walter Canning and... (laughs) And Nichelle Nichols, 1,179 signatures. <laughs> but the one that stuck out the most to me was titled the following. Declare the Monday following the Super Bowl a national holiday. <laughs> now, having just watched the bitterly disappointing and Beyonce-centric Super Bowl, I was not surprised at the idea that some Baltimore Ravens fan thought this up. However, I was shocked to learn that said petition was created 10 days ago and in that time acquired 14,424 signatures. <laughs> Could this be a thing? Could the Monday after Super Bowl actually become a holiday, essentially giving the entire country a day to recover from a bad hangover? I'll be eagerly, eagerly checking to see if this little engine could actually get 100,000 signatures by February 23rd, their deadline. Who's with me? Best Amy Carroll. So, well, there you go, Andy. Isn't democracy fun? <laughs> uh, this uh, email um, came into our uh, in-house bugle agony aunt, and do send your own queries in, um, 
And it came from uh, a Chris, aged 58, formerly from the Westminster area of London, who describes himself as a former cabinet minister and until this week a member of parliament. (laughs) And he uh, says, "Uh, Dear Bugle Agony Aunt, my wife and I had a bit of a falling out a while ago in which I allegedly made her take the rap for my speeding offence before I then went on to have an affair with a member of my campaign staff, causing the end of a 25-year marriage and prompting my understandably irate and now vengeful wife to reveal said motoring offence shtick to a newspaper, thus bringing about my certain political downfall, the destruction of my personal reputation, my probable jailing, as well as untold family ructions and the lively possibility of herself also being sent to prison for perving all over the course of justice. So tell me, Bugle Agony Aunt... Do you think our relationship has any future? <laughs> well, Chris, I don't know. It's going to take a... Thanks for writing in. It's going to take a lot of rebuilding work. Yeah. I'm not a relationship expert, but I think... Uh, I think... I mean, it doesn't look good currently. It, uh, that, those are a lot of issues to work through. But, um, you know, step by step. Uh, so that's all for this week's Bugle. Uh, don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. Uh, do not forget to take advantage of the extended 2% off your Bugle voluntary subscription uh, until next week only when we'll probably extend it again until we've, <laughs> <laughs> until we've m- managed a sustainable business plan for this podcast. <laughs> uh, Lent begins this week. John, are you giving anything up? Oh, uh, of Fella? course, yeah. of course, uh, yeah, of course, were. everything. I'm giving everything up, Andy. <laughs> I'm going to be like a camel. <laughs> I'm not. I'm eating and drinking and storing it up in uh, my hump. <laughs> <laughs> my lovely lady humps. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Everything, everything. Because uh, fed some uh, details on what other celebrities are getting out for Lent. Uh, singer Taylor Swift is laying down her chainsaw for forty days. There are hardly any trees left in my neighbourhood, admitted the amateur tree slayer. So I'm going to put Larissa in the shed for six weeks and let them grow back. But then, come Easter, all bets are off. Ring, 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 ring. <laughs> Whilst uh, America's Nobel Prize science ace Richard F. Heck is giving up palladium-catalyzed cross-couplings in organic synthesis. Sure, he said, I won my Nobel Prize for it, but there is such a thing as too much palladium-catalyzed cross-coupling in organic synthesis. <laughs> and uh, former tennis ace Suzanne Longlon is giving up breathing. Uh, she said at a press conference, I did lay off oxygen big time in 1938 when I died, but I thought I might as well formalise it now. Whilst actor and statesman Arnold Schwarzenegger is giving up playing ping pong. It affects the way you look at the world, he wept. And especially at tables. I just find myself looking at any table thinking, could I string a little net across that and ping some pong all over it? <laughs> so uh, that's it, Buglers. Thanks for listening. Uh, we did uh, did say, I think, in the uh, re-recorded intro for last week's show that we'd have the uh, Marley bit that was lost last week, uh, but we're going to save that for next week because we did. Yeah, uh, just just trusting yeah. the fact that Marley is still going to be an issue. Yeah. Which, uh, I and mean, you can imagine that we had recorded it again this week and yeah. it had been lost again. You were, yeah. That makes you feel better about it. Yeah. But uh, until then, uh, goodbye. Bye! TheBuglePodcast.com. Click. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. 
God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.